special music um, with each service, okay? All right, if you have your Bible, let me invite you to turn with me to uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 through 14. Just keep turning back there. It's close to the back. And uh, actually, it's two letters that Peter wrote. Peter probably wrote these in the, in the last part of his life because he was an elderly person. And he understood the challenges of living the Christian life. He understood the deceitfulness and the lies and the deception of uh, the evil one. You know, some people say, well, I, don't just, I just don't believe in a real devil. Well, that's like putting you in a lion's den and then uh, in a zoo over at Louisville Zoo in the lions where the lions are and you then saying, I don't believe in animals. You know, it's kind of like that. So uh, there is a real adversary and it's not an adversary that just comes at you from the front or from the side. This adversary, and that's the reason I titled this sermon, Adversary 360. 360 degrees is how the evil one works in a person's life. And he wants to tell you that you can't make it as a Christian. He wants to tell you that God doesn't love you. He wants to tell you that in all your failures, you'll never be an overcomer. He wants to tell you that if you do enough good things, you'll be all right with God. He wants to give you a religion instead of a relationship. You know, he's such a deceiver and such a, a person who casts lies. And so Peter, at the end of his life, is talking to a congregation that has been trying to live out their Christian faith in a count, listen to this, a counter-cultural culture. Does that sound like today? If you go public in some form today and say, I believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and he's the only way to God, you're gonna find a lot of criticism in the liberal world today. I mean, it's, it's not, it's not, you know, you're not going to be affirmed for having such a true and honest, open belief in God. We're living in a counter-cultural time if you're a Christian. We're not, listen, we may be founded on Christian principles, but we're far from a Christian nation. And same way when Peter was writing this letter. Peter was saying, listen, I know you're having to live in a counter-cultural Christian Christ-based, Messiah-believing connotation. And so here's what you need to be prepared to do. In verse 6, he says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, so he can lift you up in due time. Cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Now listen, here's where he gets right down to the nitty-gritty. He says, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in your faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you, make you strong, make you firm, make you steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever." Do you know even the devil wants to take the sufferings? Now listen, the Bible never says that a Christian will not experience any suffering. And so what the devil deceives us by planting in our minds, and this is where it begins, that's why he says, be sober. In other words, don't be under the influence of the culture that you live in because the devil would take even your suffering and tell you that God doesn't love you or that you're not good enough or you're a terrible sinner and that's why you're suffering. But the Bible never teaches that. The Bible only teaches us 
And Jesus declared it in his teaching that we suffer even as Christians like the rest of the world because we live in a world of brokenness. But the evil one would take that truth of living in a broken world and say to you, well, God doesn't love you or you wouldn't be suffering. God, would, God doesn't care for you or you wouldn't be in that kind of condition. So here's how that works out. I, I wrote down this question. Here's a question. Do you know what Detroit City, The Wizard of Oz, MGM Studios, DreamWorks, Madagascar Movies, and Mufasa have in common? Anybody want to guess? I just read the answer. A lion. A lion. Did you notice what he said that the evil one is like? A lion. Your adversary, 360 degrees. By the way, I went to Fort Knox in a, uh, because of, there's a member of our church at Severance Valley at the time. She, uh, she uh, put together the schedule for all the soldiers who were going to Iraq and Afghanistan who had to learn not just one battle forward at a time like my dad and many World War II veterans did in, uh, in the Allies in World War II. No, they had to teach soldiers how to fight 360 degrees. In other words, you might overcome your enemy today, but you got snipers behind you tonight. And so they had to learn to do battle 360 degrees. Listen, that's how the adversary works on a Christian. You see, he, does, he says he comes at you sometimes like a roaring lion. You know how, oh, we're fascinated with lions, aren't we? Their mouth, their teeth, the mane on the big male lion, their claws. I mean, there's a reason they're called the king of the jungle, right? Because lions are powerful and they are great predators. Well, sometimes, listen, I found this out. Lion, Sue Ann said, well, you know, do you remember we were talking, as you know, we talk about my sermon. She wants to make sure she gets to edit it before I preach it. I'm just kidding. But anyway, she said, are you, are you talking about that passage where Jesus talked, where Peter says that your adversary, like a roaring lion, is prowling about, seeking how he may devour? I said, yeah. She said, well, listen, let me tell you, you didn't go with us, but I took grandkids to the zoo, Louisville Zoo. And she said, I was just having fun. You said, most of the time, the animals are pretty uh, apathetic. You know, they see so many people. It's not like, and you, you're not supposed to feed them. So most of them are just laying back on the rock. You're lucky if you get to see the gorilla or, you know, or whatever. And she said, the big lion, the male lion was over there on the rock. And she said, I went over there and started making sounds like, hello, Mr. Lion. Only animated as Suzanne could do. And she said, the kids came over and they started listening to me make sounds to the big lion. You know what he did? All of a sudden, he jumped off of that rock and ran toward the fence. And she said, he let out the biggest roar that I've ever heard. She said, we left quickly. <laughs> Listen, it, sometimes the devil comes at you face forward. You know it's a temptation. You know it's a moment when you're being pulled away from the comfort, the love, the peace, the joy of God. You see it coming. You know it's there because it's like a roaring lion. But I want to tell you, he doesn't say that the devil is a lion. He says he comes at you like what? Like a lion. So the lion sometimes roars, but sometimes he sneaks and he's crafty. And he's deceitful. 
You know, I had a friend on Facebook yesterday say, uh, put a picture of a little kitten. She has a little, little girl, Simone, her. She's four years old, and they have a dog. But they found this little kitten, and she put a picture of the kitten and Simone, and she said, this little kitten has totally become consumed with loving on my daughter, and my daughter, the four-year-old, is consumed with loving her. And she shows a picture of uh, Simone holding the little cat. And uh, she said, what do y'all think about cats? And of course, I sent her a message. I said, we had cats for 18 years in our house. We had TJ and Shadda. And our kids, they were brothers, and our kids had them when they were like four, right on up until TJ was the last one who, who died, and he was 18 years old. And I said, our kids still talk about TJ and Shadda. So you may create some great memories for you. And I said, plus, uh, uh, they require less attention than a dog. <laughs> because they're pretty self-reliant most of the time. Matter of fact, they're so peculiar, they are totally reliant at times, right? But here's the thing. I said, I learned how a, a, a cat can catch a squirrel, can catch a, a bird, can catch a snake, can catch one of those little uh, ground squirrels, because all those things were brought to our front door at one time or another. And I learned how, I was watching Shadow in the backyard one time. And he wasn't roaring. He wasn't jumping up and down. He was in the grass, just, I mean, so still, I thought he was sick and was getting ready to die. But he wasn't. He was waiting for the right moment. And all of a sudden, a bird got close enough, and bam, there he was. Next thing I know, Shadow's bringing that robin right to the front door. You know, Here's the thing. Sometimes Satan is so sneaky and crafty that you may be caught off guard. This is why Peter is writing. He says, listen, I want to remind you that the devil is real. Don't believe that he, he, tries, to, uh, he tries to disguise his identity. But look what he says. He is real enough to rebel against God. You know how the Satan, you know how he ended up being Satan and we call him the devil, the slander, the liar? Look at Isaiah 14, 12. It's right there in your notes. How have you fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of dawn? You have been cast down to the earth. You said in your heart, I will ascend. I want you to notice here. Here's the problem. Here's the problem we have that Satan will use on me and you to keep us from embracing the truth of who God is. Do you notice what he says? What does he say? I will ascend. I will raise. I will sit. I will ascend above. I will make myself like the most high. The problem is when we put ourselves before God, you're in for a fall because you've just been deceived by the adversary. 360 degrees, he's waiting for you to put yourself before God. You see, the Bible doesn't try to prove Satan's existence. It just reveals who he is. You see, Satan is presented as the professor in the school of evil. And that's what he does. He's referred to in the, in the Old Testament seven books 29 times in the Gospels, and 25 times of the 29 times that Satan, the, our adversary, is mentioned, is Jesus is talking about it. Do you think Jesus knew about the adversary? He was tempted in the wilderness, wasn't he? Offered all kinds of substitutes for living out his purpose for God. And he still does that today. And so we're looking at a person 
here who has pride as a problem and every person who's tried to live a Christian life knows sometimes that you yourself get in the way because the thinking in your mind is that I could do it my way better than God's way. I can fulfill my purpose for life by doing it my way rather than surrendering to God's way. And pride becomes a problem. And see, that comes from the adversary. He's real enough to rebel against God and real enough to convince us that we can rebel against God by just failing to surrender ourselves. But he's got a problem. He's got a problem. He is powerful enough, though, to hinder God's word. I asked somebody who's heard the gospel, who's been exposed to the Jesus as Savior for all of their life, maybe Sunday school, maybe Bible school, uh, maybe as a dove, and I asked it, why have you not come to Christ? Why have you not trusted in Christ? If people sit in churches all over uh, this morning, last night, whenever churches have worship, and if you, why have you not come to Christ? You sit there, you, all you have to do is admit and believe and confess Christ as your Savior. Why have you not come to Christ? And here's what the adversary does. You see, the Bible says that he blinds the minds of unbelievers so can, they cannot see the light of the gospel. Look at that verse, 2 Corinthians 4, 14. You see, Satan's he heads up this anti-God philosophy that permeates the thinking of our world. And all of a sudden, people think, well, listen, you know what? Uh, number one is I hear people preach and, uh, and, and the gospel, and it's so simple, it can't be that simple. I mean, I've got to do, so, I've got to have some religion in my life if I'm going to be right with God. You know I've got to do penance, which is mean you do something to get something. And they forget that the Bible says the word's not penance, it's repentance. It's a surrender of, it, you know, it's just to make, why have you not come to Christ? He said, well, I can't live up to it. I, I wouldn't be able to do enough penance. And the devil takes that, that adversary, 360 degrees, and he hinders the word of God. He knows that Romans 10, 17 works so well, he opposes God's word. He knows that Romans 10, 17, that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, works so well that he blinds us to the simplicity of the gospel. That's what he does. He hinders God's word. Listen, he's everything. Listen to this. I did research here from the University of Louisville since Sue Ann teaches there. Ronald Holmes, professor of criminal justice at the University of Louisville, a leading authority on satanic crimes. Here's what he said. Satanism is the exact opposite of Christianity. Anything you want to know about Satan can be found by reading your Bible and turning it upside down. Friend, Satan's issue is with God. But the, he knows that he's already been defeated by God. Jesus proved that on the cross and by the resurrection. So where, whom would he be adversarial to if he can't defeat God? Me and you. And so what he does is that he, he tries to cause us to rebel against God's purpose in our lives. He tries to take the sometimes a roaring line, sometimes a crafty, deceitful line, and that he hinders God's word. But I want to remind you of something. Look right at this. He is not omnipresent. He is not omniscient. He is not omnipotent. 
He is not God. He is God of this world, little g. He is not God of all things. And so what he does is he uses his power and his deception. You know, um, he's also deceptive enough to make the things that would take us away from God look very attractive. He masquerades, the Bible says, as an angel of light. 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 11, 14 says, And no wonder for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. Unless I'm never worried about Halloween. I, my kids celebrate Halloween. I know some very strong Christians who don't want to do Halloween. I mean, I, don't, I never took my kids out to harm or hurt anybody, but I took them place. They got candy. But you know, the whole thing of Halloween is trying to be dressed up so people don't know who you are, right? Well, guess what? That's why some people so connect the devil with Halloween because we are pretending to be something that we're really not, whether we paint our face, put on a mask, uh, whatever. Well, in the world of spiritual battle, guess what? That's exactly what Satan does. He masquerades himself. He deceives people as to his real identity. You know, he would still want me to believe that he's like the devil in the little story of Little Red Riding Hood, like the big bad wolf. Red suit, got horns, a spear. No, 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 that's not what he would do. That's not what he would do because he would, want, he would want to be more crafty than that, be more deceitful than that. You see, this is why in our world, uh, when I ask a person, why have you not come to Christ? Sometimes they said, well, you explain to me then why Christians, there's so much suffering in the world. And so they want to use some kind of stumbling block to keep them from saying you know what? In your suffering, that's where you're going to find God, your strength. Because the evil one is going to be deceptive enough to think that your suffering is because you're a bad person. Now, listen, if you suffer in this life, you're not a bad person. What you get the opportunity to do is to, you know, none of us like to suffer. But listen, if you look at this passage, the matter of fact, and that's what Peter was saying to Christians who were, you know why he talked to them about suffering? Because like Peter, you know how Peter died? He got crucified upside down. Crucified upside down for being a Christian. So he said, listen, I know that there are those who countercultural to Christianity and to Jesus. Guess what? You will have suffering in the world. You will have suffering in the world. That's why he said, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Knowing that he will take your suffering, he will even declare ultimately a victory for you. It may be in this life that you get healed. It may be in this life that your suffering is temporary. It may be that your suffering leads to the end of your life. Ultimately, ultimately, he says, the goal is this, that the God of all grace who calls you will give you his eternal glory in Christ Jesus. You know, I, I, listen, I'm not asking for suffering. But sometimes I really am humbled by the lack of suffering that I've had. I mean, you and I, if you look around, I look at my life. I mean, I know people at my age who, uh, like my mom, she had her first stroke when she was close to my age. And, and for years was in a wheelchair. I look at my life and I said, 
you know, I've really not had a lot of suffering. Yeah, my back goes out sometimes. Occasionally I get a sinus infection. But I look at people and I see them suffering. But some of the strongest people of faith I've ever met in my life are people who've suffered. And the reason they're able to suffer with hope is that they are trusting the God of all Christ to give them an eternal glory. I'll never forget a lady that I visited in the nursing home years ago. She had uh, diabetes, and she'd been in the nursing home 10 years. They'd had to amputate both legs. Uh, her eyesight was failing because she used to read the Bible all the time. So I remember visiting her one day, and this came to me like a light. And she said, Brother Billy, I, I just need to go on and be with the Lord. So I don't know why I'm still here. She said, I can't read the Bible like I used to. She said, sometimes people would come to, to my room and I'd read the Bible to them. She said, I can't even get up and walk. I gotta wheel, people got to wheel me around. But you know, while I was visiting her for about 20 minutes there, I imagine a half a dozen people came to her door and said, Ms. Eula, would you pray for me? She had a prayer ministry like no one had. Eternal weight and glory. Her suffering was not because she was a bad person or she wasn't a Christian. Her suffering ultimately gave glory to God, but the evil one kept planning in her mind, must be something wrong with you. God's wanting you to suffer and suffer. But listen, this is what he says. He said, I want to tell you something. You may be suffering a little while. He's talking about the, the span of this life. But he said, I want to tell you something. In eternity, you'll be strong and firm and steadfast. And to him be all the glory and power forever. Amen. Which leads me to say one other thing. Satan may be real, which he is. He's powerful in this world. He's deceptive. We all know it. But guess what? You can write this word down. You can take this to the bank. He is limited. He is limited. His reality his powerfulness, his deceptiveness only goes so far. Why do I know that? Because that's why Peter says, resist him. Be self-controlled. Be alert. Stand firm in your faith. Watch this. I wrote this down. Put this in the note. I want you to see this. Christians battle with Satan, our adversary, yes, frontwards, backwards, sideways, sometimes at a roaring lion, sometimes slithering along like T.J. the cat. But we don't battle for a win. We battle from a win. Jesus won the battle on Calvary's cross. God delivered the victory in the resurrection. So we live in the power of the Holy Spirit, and we're to live by faith in the victory of what Christ has done for us. And that means that even in our suffering, we claim the victory. We stand on the promises of God's word. We live in the power that God's presence lives within us to encourage us, to guide us, to strengthen us. We live by faith in what's been accomplished in Christ. In Christ, he says, you can be restored, you can be strengthened, you can have a settling in your spirit. Wow. Why is that? Because First John said, because the one who is in you, if you're a believer, trusted in Christ, embraced his purpose for your life. If you've come to Christ, made that simple admission, that simple belief, that simple commitment, greater is the one in you who's in the world. 
And listen, I got to tell you something else. Why? I'll tell you why the devil works so hard. Why he works so hard on me and you. Do you know why? Well, listen to this. I'll tell you why. Revelation 12, 17. Then I heard, uh, start at verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God and the authority of our Christ. For the accuser of our brothers, that would be our adversary. He even accuses us against each other. Do you know he not only deceives and lies, he likes to divide. He likes to divide churches. He likes to divide families. He likes to create all kinds of conflict wherever he goes. He accuses them, he says, before our God day and night. But he has been hurled down because they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. He's even crying to cause problem in heaven. So they did not love their lives to shrink from death. Listen to this. Therefore, and I'm going to say this because I say it a lot. Why is that therefore? For this reason. Rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down with you. He is filled with fury, because he knows, watch this, he knows that his time is short. His time is short. Our time with God is eternal. Let me invite you to stand with me, if you would. I want to lead us in prayer. We'll sing just a moment, How Great Thou Art, the song that uh, obviously reminds us that the dominion over the adversary is God himself. That's God's greatness. So Peter says, be self-controlled and be alert. Be firm in your faith. Stick with your church family. Be present. Be a servant. Read the word. Do the things that gives you an advantage over the adversary. He's the slander, the father of lies. He's the tempter who tempted Adam and Eve. He's the author of countless counterfeits of God. He's the wielder of evil on planet earth. And not only that, he accuses me and you as persons of faith. But I want to encourage you today to resist him. Do not be intimidated. Do not be overwhelmed with his stalking, his pursuing, but rather remember what Jesus said when Satan tempted him, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block. You do not have in mind the things of God. Resist the devil. I don't know exactly what deception, what lie, what untruth, what accusation that you felt that's been made toward you 
maybe that you've tried so many times to live the Christian life and it seems like it doesn't always work out like you think it would and the devil says, well, God can't love you. You can't really be a believer if that's the case. But I'm telling you, God's word is firm and true. And today, we resist his work in the world. It is, he is an enemy. But we know the one who's greater than he who is in the world. So God, I pray today that we might be encouraged, that we might be strengthened. We might uh, this day uh, walk out of here reminding ourselves to walk in the victory of Jesus, not in our own strength, in our own uh, intellectual, emotional insights, but based on God's word and his promises, we walk in the victory of Calvary's cross for our salvation, for comfort in our suffering, and that suffering in itself will, will eventually bring an eternal glory for us as people are restored and made whole. So, God, if there's one here, for some reason, has pondered what it means to trust in Christ, and when they hear the question, why have you not come to Christ? God, may they lay down their excuse. May they see that the adversary has planted in their minds the God of this world all kind of stumbling blocks that are not true. And I pray that they may step over that line from doubt to faith, from unbelief to trust in Jesus Christ. For it's in Christ's name I pray, amen. Let's sing together as Jim leads us. Great song, reminds us of the greatness of God.